Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello again and welcome to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy. I'm your host, certified sex therapist Lori Watson, author of Wanting Sex Again and blogger at Psychology Today and WebMD. And I have with me Dr. Adam Matthews, my co-host, who's a couples therapist, psychotherapist, and president of NCAMFT. Foreplay is dedicated to helping couples keep it hot. Thanks for listening. Now on to today's topic. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy. I'm your couples therapist, Dr. Adam Matthews, alongside your sex therapist, Dr. Lori Watson. We have a great treat for you guys today. We are with Seth and Melanie from Anatomy of Marriage. I'm here to talk about their journey in their life. Welcome, guys. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited that you're with us. You guys have awesome resources on your website, podcasts, tools, videos. I love everything about it. And it sounds like it started out of y'all's own experience in your marriage, like just working on it yourselves, going from something that it sounds like you didn't want to something that you do want now. Can y'all tell us about that? How did that all come about? Yeah, um, so the story is bad in the beginning, but then it ended up being good in the end because years ago when we were had only been married, what was it, maybe was five like years at the time, and I had just given birth to our second child in 15 months, so we were young parents. Seth was in grad school getting his master's in marriage and family therapy, and he um, confessed to me like two weeks after the birth of our son that he had been lying and that he had been looking at pornography. And I, ouch. Yeah. Oh, it was just the worst. You know, two weeks postpartum, I lost it. I Mm -hmm. was a total mess. And we went through an unbelievably dark season in the wake of that, which really it shouldn't have been that big of a deal because, you know, we should have been able to kind of get through it and make sense of it, but we just didn't have the skills. Mm -hmm. And Mm so the podcast was birthed from we, we got through that hard time and we kind of turned around a few years later and went, whoa, how did we do that? Mm-hmm. Like, how did we get through that? Because it was so hard. We had domestic abuse. I was domestically violent to Seth. We had all these issues around communication. And so the podcast really came from let's explore what we did to get through all of that hard stuff. And let's share that wisdom and that knowledge because it was a it was a big deal and I think that couples could benefit from it so that's kind of how the whole thing came about yeah Yeah, and and so I was in my graduate program become a marriage and family therapist and I I was probably a therapist for about three or four years and we were just struggling on all kinds of things and we really wanted to document and kind of provide a service and ultimately the whole thing about our podcast is we want to create tools and resources that we wish we had when we were going through the stuff that we were going through. Cause we didn't have, I mean, I was a therapist for crying out loud. So I knew all these interventions and all these things, but it wasn't real until her and I really started talking about it and just getting really intentional about stuff. And that's Mm -hmm. where the turnaround happened. Yeah. And Seth was, he was a therapist and I had always wanted to be a therapist. And so there was a desire to share this sort of therapeutic world with like regular people. And that's what, and that's kind of, a mix of how that came about as well. So yeah, I always say I became the person I wanted to talk to when I grew up. 
you know, just mm. wanting well, to talk about sex and all the questions I had when I was young. It was like, gosh, I wish I could have talked to myself now, back then. Yeah. So yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. It's like now that you have the tools and have sort of come on the other side, it sounds like you really want to share that with the world and help people. Yeah, is there? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, was there any one or two main things that kind of you said as you started to kind of do a reflection on what got you through that, that was key for you guys? I would say self-awareness. We hadn't, I mean, I thought that I knew myself well, but I think I was just deceiving myself well and blaming Seth for the majority of my faults and flaws. And it felt like an unveiling or like revealing of true self-awareness. And that was, that's like the biggest key for me in this whole journey of what's been revealed to me, I guess, this is the self-awareness key. And then really the communication key. Like we were the worst communicators with one another. I mean, it was unreal. And so I think once we kind of understood ourselves better and then learned how to communicate at a more holistic and loving level, things really changed for us. Mm -hmm. So I agree with Melanie. Uh, we, we thought that we knew each other well, we thought I knew our, we knew ourselves well, but until the point that we really got intentional about stuff and really honest with yourself, uh, then we, I don't think that we were going to have a good marriage or at least the marriage that we always thought we were going to have and the, the kind of marriage that we always wanted. And that's a really big step. And, and this is sometimes goes so counterintuitive and especially as a therapist, you know, that analogy, whenever you get on the airplane, about how you're supposed to put your own mask on before you can help your others, help sure. other people. Mm -hmm. And I always think the opposite of that, or at least I did, is like, you know, I'm, I'm putting, I want to make sure that my kids are safe first or, you know, other or the people or loved ones, then I'll do it myself. But what good are we if we have no oxygen and pass out kind of thing? So if, if I'm trying to create a loving, intentional, healthy relationship with my spouse, I need to do my own work. Yeah. before that you know what i'm saying yeah. and a lot of people don't realize that and thankfully we both did around the same time when we were going through all this stuff and i believe we didn't get divorced because we're really hard workers we didn't want to get divorced like melanie said we had two kids at the time now we have three and we just kind of decided that divorce at least for us wasn't an option and it was a crappy two years after we decided that yeah. but that was what we had to do to get where we are today. Yeah, it, it sounds like a, there's a lot of things that I talk with couples about, but the main thing that I always start with is that you have to take responsibility for yourself, which is something that I think is what you guys mm -hmm. are saying, and stop trying to change or control the other person. It just mm -hmm. sounds like that's that's a lot of where you're going with that is take care of yourself first so that you can take care of the relationship. Uh, were there any obstacles to that for you guys? Like, Because I, I find <sighs> that couples so often, like that's the hardest part is to get them to kind of give up changing the other person and start to change what they can change for themselves. Oh yeah. That, that personal reflection and, and accountability to your own self is, is the hardest because a lot of times we think, well, if she just wouldn't do that, then I wouldn't be mad, you know? And it's yeah, like, right. well, let's just kind of break that down. Can I find happiness or contentment alone? Do I need somebody else to complete that for me? And I think the first answer is no. And once you have that for yourself, then everything else, especially with an intimate relationship, that brings out the best of those things, if, if that makes sense. You know, it's not like a Jerry Maguire, oh, you complete me, because, you know, it's almost <laughs> like I'm healthy now, and everything that we bring or you bring to the relationship is 
mostly icing on the cake. That's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's an enhancement. I, yeah, yeah so I would f- say the biggest obstacle that we faced was ourselves, really. I mean, I mm-hmm. think I, for sure, was obstacle number one in my own understanding of myself and my understanding of Seth and my understanding of what marriage should look like or could look like or or how to get to a better marriage. So I think, yeah, I think I was my biggest obstacle, like 100%. Sometimes we talk about, uh, we sort of divide the couple a little bit in terms of one person's the pursuer and the other person is the withdrawing distancing partner. You know, the pursuer is often mm-hmm. more aware of their needs for closeness and connection but over time, they they are frustrated, so they become kind of critical. And the withdrawing partner is sometimes less aware in the partnership of how much they need the other, and and maybe they back up some, they get quieter, they're more afraid of the conflict. The pursuing partner gets frustrated, you know, saying, you know, gosh, I want to settle these things, let's talk about it. And the withdrawing partner is like, ah, deer in the headlight, you know, no matter what I do for you, it's not enough. Um, which was which for you guys, or did you split over maybe the sexual issue? How did that work for you? I think for sure I was the pursuer and mm-hmm. Seth was the distancer. But I guess the thing that was so unfortunate about the way that we were doing this or that I was pursuing him was that it was very much like, I need you to understand. I need you to see the world how I see the world. Right. And that was, that's not really not accurate or good or healthy. And so I wasn't actually accepting how Seth, you know, viewed our circumstance, viewed me or whatever. But then on top of that, Seth was just trying to make it better. So he would do what he thought I wanted him to do, mm-hmm. which only pushed him farther away from what his actual desires and needs were in the relationship. So it was this weird kind of like dualism, like I was pursuing him, but I was pursuing him to be like me. I think that's so important because early in relationship, often we believe that sameness is going to be intimacy. You know, if we can just get somebody to see it our way, then we'll feel close versus I think as we mature, we realize there's, there's a lot of room to be very different. And sometimes the differences can be very exciting, or sometimes we can just accept the differences and still be intimate. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That That is so interesting um, because – and this goes back – and we talk about a lot of family of origin stuff on the podcast too. And in my family of origin, the kind of enmeshed kind of roles, it, it did seem like sameness is intimacy. So that's, uh-huh. that's what I was coming from. Oh, well, we have to be on the same page. And then as she continued to pursue me, I would withdraw. But then also I wanted to acquiesce to what she was saying. Then we're just like in a crazy feedback loop of – of missed signals and assumptions because the more I acquiesced, the more she was like, Oh, well he needs to kind of stand up and get a backbone or, and that wasn't attracted to her, you know, emotionally or physically in that way. So mm-hmm. we had a lot of conversations to, to really mm-hmm. have to work that out. And one, one thing I find really interesting as we'll be married 14 years coming up this August. And I found some of our roles, like some of the roles that Melanie had in the early part of our relationship, these roles are dynamic and sometimes they even reverse, you know, and, and it can go, it's, it's very, I think it's very causal and it's really interesting to see that role reversal. Well, maybe I'm the pursuer now and she's trying to, you know, withdraw or, or, or whatever it is and even different household chores or how we see each other and what kind of responsibilities. That's a really interesting thing to me and I think it's a healthy thing too because then we don't have 
just a static, rigid relationship going on. It's I'd say we're at a fairly growth mindset place right now. And as far as roles and stuff like that, it's, it's just an interesting concept. Yeah, well, that- Seth, you've said two important things here. I mean, one, the two of you, it sounds like examined your family of origin, which of course is the blueprint, you know, I think for intimacy. And then two, you're talking about how as you became more functional, you actually switched places and maybe took different roles. Yeah, for sure. That was one of our, our, our episodes on family of origin were mind blowing to me. Seth knew about family of origin from school, but I had no, I had never like learned about it. And so we talked to, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel. We talked to a bunch of different um, sort of marriage experts in the field about family of origin. And it was like, how, I mean, it's mind blowing because it really does influence and impact and inform every choice you make and so it's like how could I not have known about family of origin and then stepped into a relationship where I'm basically trying to love Seth from the pattern of my upbringing which has nothing to do with the pattern of his upbringing and Mm -hmm. um, it just caused so much conflict and so many arguments that were unnecessary had we learned beforehand how to kind of merge those two families of origin together uh, in a healthy and holistic way, you know? So yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, I think you come into marriage, like that family of origin stuff, you come in speaking a very specific language of relationship, right? And your, your, your spouse comes in speaking mm-hmm. their specific language of relationship. So it's almost like in interacting with each other, you're trying to learn a completely different language. But if you don't acknowledge that as such, you just keep miscommunicating all over the place day and night. Yeah. Seth, you said that your family of origin kind of sameness and was important and maybe less conflict. What was important in your family of origin, Melanie? Oh, it's kind of funny. Acceptance was really important or is really important. You don't make people be different. So you don't have a, a like a rule book or a guidebook or a standard in which to follow. So if I want to have a shaved head or purple hair, more power to me. Like there was never a um, a rigid structure around who was like what kind of behavior was acceptable, if that makes sense. So I came from a very open family. Like you love everyone, you treat everyone equally. Well, That's- it's important to say that Melanie comes from the Pacific Northwest. She grew up in Seattle, yeah. right? And I came from South Carolina. Just the Bible Belt. Grew up here. Yeah. Everything here. So so culturally, we're very very different just mm-hmm. from the get go. But then our family of origin. My family's super accepting. That family, like if you wear the wrong clothes, that is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was really this huge, it was a culture clash. It was a family of origin clash. It was a communication clash. So yeah, it really brought a ton of conflict in. And I, and I, I really wish we had had the tools to kind of like look at it sort of more, um, more honestly, I guess, and more aware. We just didn't have an awareness of it. So more, it more intelligently. Yeah, too. more intelligently is a better way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> we were just like trying to bam, you know, square pegs in the in the circle holes the whole time. Just like, yeah. whoa, we'll get a bigger hammer and it'll work this yeah. time. Like that, that just was not working for us. Yeah. That is awesome because I think that it just shows how far all of us really have to come, but how far you guys have come from having two different backgrounds and two different ways of relating coming together and then having to work through all that um we're gonna take a little bit of a break and come back in the second part and talk about just communication specifically tools that you guys have learned for better communication uh, specifically around the area of sex that we can talk about so we'll be right back 
Thank you so much to all our Patreon supporters. Right? Yeah, Patreon is a platform where you can directly support things that you love. We really want to expand the resources that we can be able to provide right. to you as our listeners. If you know our work touches you and our work helps you, we would be so grateful for your support. Just go to our website, foreplayrst.com, and there you can find a way to support us, and you can see our episodes and our blogs. And thank you so much, guys. Speaking with certified sex therapist Lori Watson from Awakening Center for Couples and Intimacy. Lori, what is an intensive? So an intensive is 12 to 14 hours of therapy all in one weekend. And it's a way to really make fast progress compared to weekly therapy. I mean, there's just so much more you can get done when you have a chunk of time. Overcome the challenges in your relationship and your sex life. Learn more about intensives and Awakening Center's other services at awakenloveandsex.com. At Matthews Counseling, we believe it is our job to come alongside you in whatever difficult challenges of life you are in and help you rediscover hope and to find the strength that you have to face those challenges. We strive to create a safe and comfortable place for you to explore who you want to be and identify the obstacles standing in your way. Oftentimes, the first step toward finding help is the hardest, but it can also be the bravest. Give us a call at 919-587-8018. Find us online at matthewscounseling.net. We look forward to working with you. Welcome back to Foreplay. We are with Seth and Melanie from Anatomy of Marriage, talking a little bit about their journey and talking a little bit about communication and how to improve that. We have also tweaked a little audio from the first half, so hopefully you guys will sound even better than you already do. All right. So we started talking about just kind of communication, and y'all had mentioned that that um, was a key for you guys as well, the self-awareness, but then also just learning to communicate better. Are there any kind of specific um, things that you learned how to do better in your communication with each other that made a difference? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Well, I would say oh. right off the bat, sorry, Seth, I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to jump in. That's all right. <laughs> One of the <laughs> things that we started doing to communicate better was Seth introduced the clearing structure, um, and it's a therapeutic model that he uses with his clients. And so he, we entr- introduced it in our podcast. And we actually use it with one another because we realized mm-hmm. that when we were communicating, oftentimes we were talking about two different things. So, for example, I would be talking about how Seth said something to me. He would be talking about the thing that was said. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I would be like talking about the manner in which he said it. You're like he would about be talking tone. about the content of. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you're about tone about and he's different... about content. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we'd be arguing for hours about two different things and we couldn't real we weren't realizing it so we brought in the clearing structure which is a pdf you can get at anatomyofmarriage.com and it's like a normal therapeutic thing and you literally just answer questions and clarify things kind mm-hmm. of remove all of the emotions and get down to the heart of what the conflict is and mm-hmm. that has been a game changer once mm-hmm. you do it mm-hmm. it changes the way that you understand what communicating can look like and how it can kind of go 
a foul. <laughs> so it was, it's really helpful. Yeah. So that was the thing I was going to say. Go ahead, Seth. Well, yeah, it, it's um, based on Bowen family therapy and making I statements. And this really ties back into what we were saying before about becoming self-aware. So when we use I statements, we're not blaming. We're not saying you always do this. You never don't, you know, leave the milk on the counter or, or whatever. We're only making I statements talking about what we feel, what we want from this interaction instead of what is actually happening. And then what we make up about it. And then what we want to feel about ourselves in the future in this thing. So it's really based off of, of making I statements. And it is, that's, that's been just so huge. And the feedback that we get is really, really amazing. And I think uh, using the clearing structure in talking about sex and talking about, you know, what intimacy and what connection and pleasure look like for us as a married couple, you know, so we, we weren't really doing a good job of communicating before and, you know, if you're not communicating outside the bedroom, more li- most likely than not, you're not really communicating inside the bedroom either. So the clearing structure in the I statements was a really game changer for our intimacy as well. So could you talk about how you might have used this structure in that crisis? I mean, what would you have done differently that would have worked better? Oh, geez. <laughs> Pretty much everything. Uh, we, I think it, it really, what it does, like I was saying, is it kind of removes the because there's an there's sort of an intellectual side of every argument and then there's an emotional side right and my intellectual side if it is being overpowered by my emotional side my my intellectual side doesn't really have a voice not represented and that's what was happening it was like my emotional side was strangling my intellectual side and so the clearing structure had we sat down with that had we thought to use it all those years ago we could have said oh this is the thing that really is triggering me to feel hurt and to feel pain and mm-hmm. to want to blame and to want to point fingers and to want to yell. So how can we address this thing over here instead of the kind of tornado of emotions that I throw at that thing? Because that's what was happening is there would be a triggering moment or an event and it could be totally benign, small, nothing. But because my emotional side was strangling my intellectual side, it became like a massive storm we had to hunker down together to get through. But if I had had that clarifying clearing structure, I could have separated the two and been like, oh, it's okay that I have these thoughts and feelings. That doesn't mean I have to behave X, Y, and Z way, right? So it's sort of Mm -hmm. just like calms everything down and sorts it out in a way that makes you be able to look at it more intellectually and handle it from a more like mindful centered space, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. And however, I I was listening to you guys on Foreplay podcast earlier, you guys we're talking about just briefly about John and Julie Gottman, who we absolutely love the Gottmans and Gottman talks about the concept of being flooded right. and, you know, that fight or flight or freeze syndrome. And oftentimes couples get flooded in arguments and they don't know why they can't oh, yeah. stop. They don't know why, you know, it just keeps on going and going and going and why are we up till 2 a.m. again? And oh my goodness, all this stuff. So one thing that we didn't utilize in the earlier days, but would have been helpful during a crisis moment is talking about what it feels like to us individually, physically and emotionally of what being flooded looks like. And then Mm. being able to possibly recognize those signs first off in ourselves during that, and then letting each other know what we need during that time. And then also being able to recognize them and gently telling them not like you need to calm down or, or, you know, (laughs) 
because that never works. That doesn't but work. Really, saying, <laughs> right? That, that doesn't work. You know, I'm I'm feeling really flooded right now. Chances are you are too. Let's do the wise thing, even mm-hmm. though we're still mad or hurt or angry. Let's do the wise thing here and take ten to fifteen minutes and go take a break or mm-hmm. do whatever. We have a really cool intervention, and I can't remember the name of it. Melanie, you can help me. But it's mm-hmm. sometimes when we, we, we will take breaks during that time, and then we will audio record what we want to say to the other person. Mm-hmm. And this has, this has two functions. First of all, it slows us down. Well, maybe it has mm-hmm. three functions. First of all, it removes us from the situation. So whatever is flooding us, that, that potential threat or perception of threat, you're removing yourself from that. Then it slows you down to actually think about what you're feeling. And then once we're slowed down and we are thinking about our feelings, we are much better suited to articulate what we want mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. We actually were in conflict and we were working on our house. We were like fixing our house. We had little kids running around and we were uh, are upset about something and we didn't have time to stand there and talk about it. And the more we tried to stand there and talk about it, the angrier we got and we had the stuff we got to do. So I went into another room and I'm like caulking the trim in the bedroom and I'm like I just need to say these things to Seth so I can get it out of my head and so I voice memo recorded on my phone and I listened back before I sent it like I sent it through text but I listened before I sent it and it was like just hearing me voice this out loud to myself and then having the sort of that sort of uh, out of body experience of listening to myself right because that's not normal mm-hmm. you don't normally hear yourself from a recording or whatever so but that moment gave me such clarification of like, oh, I'm actually not communicating this well. So then I erased that draft. I recorded it again and said, okay, Seth, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I like. This is where I think it went wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I deleted that one until it was right. Like I did it over and over again. And then I texted it to Seth. And we realized like this method, slow, it stops you from being able to get flooded. You can't get flooded because the trigger isn't there. And you know that it can't be deleted. You know, you're not going to delete. That Seth could play it back to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so there's mm-hmm. like an accountability there. So your brain slows down. You're engaging more of your sort of like prefrontal cortex thinking part of your brain. And mm-hmm. you're able to articulate and, and be able to go back and re-articulate if you haven't done a good enough job. So it was like this, just an, a massively cool intervention that we kind of stumbled upon because we were working on our house. And it's made such a huge difference in our ability to communicate and having the sort of intellectual awareness to know when not to fight. I think that was kind of the blessing that that became in our relationship was it, it showed us like, oh, these are the warning signs of someone's going to get flooded and then it's really going to turn bad. And so mm-hmm. it kind of taught us how to look at the warning signs and read them and take heed and slow down. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that was a pretty cool I think that's an ingenious, yeah, yeah, I think that's an ingenious use of technology, really, you know, Mm -hmm. to to record yourself, you can hear the tone, uh, you can hear the language, Mm -hmm. make sure that it's, it's calmer, more direct, uh, more, Mm -hmm. more of the points that you really want to get across. That's awesome. Yeah. And one of the things we found is our listeners do it and they listen, you know, they record themselves and they listen back before they send it to their partner. And oftentimes they just cry because they're like, I, I can actually hear more clearly what it is that mm-hmm. I feel I want and need when I'm hearing myself say mm-hmm. it, you know, play mm-hmm. back to me, which is such a cool, you know, accidental insight. And, um, and it really is a wonderfully helpful method to just slow everything down and bring clarification and calm. 
and and it works in the intimate setting as well because that's one of the things that we found we use we use email in the same sort of format though where it was like I'm really uncomfortable talking about intimate stuff I can't I would get really like weird and I don't know how to do it because I wasn't raised that way. And so we use email to our advantage as it's a technology that slows things down. It makes me not feel as uncomfortable and I can, you know, Seth and I can communicate what we like and dislike or what, you know, maybe we could think of things this way or that way. And it's not directly in front of me. I'm not being confronted in real life with it. It's more of like an intellectual, you know, like he's asking me to think about something as opposed to do something immediately. And so it kind of gives you a space to think about sex in a different way and intimacy in a different way. That's been so helpful for us. Yeah, <laughs> so, let's, mm-hmm. let's shift yeah. that. Yeah, let's let's delve a little bit more into that, the sex part of that, because that I think that's a great tool for communicating about sex. Um, and as you guys pointed out correctly, if you're not communicating outside of the bedroom, chances are you're not communicating inside of it. So how did your conversations or the, the content of your conversations change about sex over time? I, I think it goes back. Well, one, one thing, I think it goes back to knowing what we want individually, hmm. knowing what works and doesn't work. And if I like something that she maybe doesn't like, you know, we don't have to do that all the time or vice versa, but we can compromise there. Or it can be like, no, I'm, I'm just totally not into that. So, so number one, being, being self-aware and also making sure that your partner has ears to hear what you're saying. So kind of that acceptance comes in again, and also just kind of stepping out and being okay with being vulnerable because let's face it, sex, you're about the most vulnerable you can get emotionally, physically, spiritually, you name it, and then absolutely really trusting one another in that space and also trying to normalize the conversation around mm-hmm. sex too. As Melanie was saying, um, her her parents were, you know, I mean, how many times have you seen your parents hug or kiss? You know, it's you know, like a, Zero. a, a yeah. half a dozen <laughs> over, you know, 30 years. Yeah. But my parents were much more open about that. So here comes that family mm-hmm. of origin piece come in. You know, I'm like, well, why can't we just, you know, I don't do do whatever and why do you have to wear a towel all the time or clothes, you know? And that yeah. was that was the conversations we had in the early days. But then yeah, just, for for me it was like I had to have a whole new understanding about what sexuality was. What was intimacy? I just didn't even really know. I think I had mm. I had this idea that um intimacy was porn. Intimacy was like sex, right? It wasn't intimacy wasn't like holding your partner's hand and talking about your day and and genuinely like being held well and in love like to me there was no it it was like a different thing altogether if that makes sense so there was like your normal world your daily routine and then there was this whole other thing called sex and that was such an unfortunate viewpoint because I was in one way I was making sex like scary and weird and different and taboo and shameful and so that was, of course, not making Seth and I feel free and in love and happy together, right? It was very much like weird and we got to be taboo about it. I don't even know. So then mm-hmm. the other side of that was I wasn't, I wasn't fully living out that sort of intimate life with Seth. I wasn't thinking about the fact that him like talking to me lovingly and being with me and holding my hand was a part of sex, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. And so I think for so oh, it, was, it was kind of categorized in a different way in your head, like 
this is this is maybe the language of yes. the body or something and it's not it wasn't integrated in your emotional life and and for you it sounds like that That's was exactly a, tri- right. a tripping yeah. point like you it, it tripped you up to think that way as well absolutely yeah for me it was like sex was this weird kind of shameful dirty thing that you were supposed to and, and don't get me wrong it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it it was that it didn't feel like it should be integrated it that seemed wrong to me because I was raised in such a a silent home around sexuality and so we met with Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers who was sex uh, professor sex therapy professor at SBU and once we met with her like we met with her for the podcast I interviewed her and once she talked about the sort of way that intimacy is in the world and its connection and pleasure and all of these different things that really opened my eyes to looking at the looking at sexuality and intimacy and pleasure from a really holistic and healthy view instead of trying to compartmentalize and make it whatever. And then from there, it's just blossomed. Like the relationship of our intimacy has blossomed in a whole new way that I could have never imagined. I just didn't even have the brain space or the vocabulary to know that that could exist back then, you know? That's really neat that you've come from that and then been able to grow together and have something that's more intimate. And I think us talking about sex, because we, we had a sex and intimacy series, and just like we wanted to create a resource that we wish we had a couple of, you know, eight years ago, we found that by sharing our story and recognizing the power of vulnerability, you know, some of Brene's Brown, Brene Brown's work, what we have been able to do with a lot of our listeners is to take the lead on that and give them an unspoken permission to start talking about sex, to start Mm -hmm. talking about intimacy in a different way. And once people get that permission, then we start to normalize the whole idea of what connection and pleasure looks like. And it's just been so interesting, not only for our own relationship, me and Melanie's relationship, but to see other people kind of step into that. And it's, it's fascinating. And we found that by making the podcast and just talking about these things, it's been really therapeutic and cathartic and enlightening for us because when we do share our vulnerability, most of the time, I think people will be like, Oh my gosh, that's too much. Boom. Withdrawal. Or, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Let's talk about this. And thank you so much kind of thing. And the latter happens much more often than people saying, well, that's too much. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah, it's really been mm-hmm. super interesting. Yeah. Cause talking about sex for a lot of couples can be emotionally overwhelming. They, it's too much. It's then that's that flight or fright response comes in and they just, they bail on it altogether. So just kind of wrapping up mm-hmm. here to kind of, as we kind of move toward the close, you mentioned just giving yourselves permission to talk about it. Um, would you say that that's, that that's the first step for couples to begin to talk about, their sexual life together is giving themselves is taking down that taboo and saying we can actually have a conversation around that. Or is there, is are there other things that you would add just as far as just first steps? Like what would a couple's first step be? So I would say you would have to really, it's that self-awareness, the element there, because I mm-hmm. could, I was not even in a space of having a, a healthy enough understanding of sexuality to talk about things like likes and dislikes. That's what so many of the like, sort of self-help books around intimacy focus on are like, oh, talk about doing this thing or this thing, where I was like, no, I need to start way farther back than that. I need to start back at like, do you even think that sex is okay? Do you even think, you know what I'm saying? So 
So I, mm-hmm. I think that the first step would be re-examining or examining for the first time, like, what do you mm-hmm. really believe about sexuality and intimacy? What things make you, like, what elements of it make you feel uncomfortable and want to withdraw? What elements mm-hmm. of it make you feel safe and want to sort of lean in? And so starting there with the just giving, allowing yourself to take time to think about more deeply what your beliefs are around sex and intimacy, what things trigger you, what things have you really not even thought about that mm-hmm. you do need to think about. And then you can I, I say think, I think Snarks, with your partner I, taking sure. the next move. Sorry, I, I think what you're talking about, Miles, uh, David Snarks, I think talked about uh, sexual inventory. And I was really, oh, yeah. I was really glad that you went that way because I was thinking the exact same thing okay what what are you what are your views on it and Mm -hmm. then go from there are you okay to have a conversation asking that first before like hey do you want to try out xyz (laughs) whoa 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 wait a minute Mm -hmm. wait a minute here Mm -hmm. and and taking it slow in that way and we we recommend as, as often as possible for people who are having problems in their relationships to go see a counselor to go see a licensed sex therapist because you know I, I think book study and listen to podcasts you can only do so much but you need that extra person to to see your blind spots and I think that outside therapeutic relationship can can really help and kind of turn the turn the turbo on for couples who are you know not at that pre-contemplation but they're they're ready for change they 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 really want this and and just continuing yeah. to open and push that conversation along yeah. Well, and the thing that popped into my head really quickly, the imagery I had is that sometimes with, well, a lot of times with issues like family of origin or, or sex and intimacy, we, it's like we're standing in a house that's flooded, like up to our knees. We're standing in flood water in our home and we go and we get mm. our mop and our broom and we start trying to mop and clean the floor. It's flooded. It's like the house is flooded and we're standing in water and we get our mop and our broom and we think, okay, I can handle this. No, 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 no. We need to like, find a way to get the water out of the house first and yeah. then we can sweep and mop and get all this stuff out and start over. Because I think in our heads, we think we don't realize how far into it we are and how we're not actually looking at something intellectually from like a wholehearted space. We're kind of just like in the middle of the floodwaters going, well, where's my rag? I can wipe <laughs> this up. And we really can't, you know? So it's like the idea of allowing ourselves to kind of step backwards whether that's our sexual inventory or our life experiences or whatever, to kind of give ourselves a broader perspective of ourselves and then begin mm-hmm. walking forward in healing and understanding and education and therapy, things like that. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. That so, image so, into my head and I want to share it. <laughs> go ahead, Seth. And one, one way, one way that we're living this out and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to forget to mention this, but Melanie and I are, we found that we have been successful like in our own marriages and work for ourselves by sharing our story with other people. And if people don't like it, then that's, that's okay. But most often than not, it really encourages people and it normalizes this entire conversation around that. And, you know, we, we have like live therapy sessions on our, on our podcast and stuff and talking about sex. One thing that has been so helpful for us, we went to a sex and intimacy retreat a couple, well, when was it? About about a year and a half ago with Dr. Tina Schirmer Sellers and her Northwest Institute on Intimacy. And it was just, it was a three-day retreat and we learned about everything and everything was like safe and normal. And one, in one way, 
that we're living this out is we are partnering with a website it's called marriagesupply.com and we are looking to normalize the use of more toys in the bedroom things that enhance connection and pleasure not in a overtly pornographic way because oftentimes these you know sex toys and sexual enhancement aids or whatever are really heavily linked to the porn industry and that is what it is but however that isolates a ton of people who would be mm-hmm. interested in introducing sex toys into their intimacy lives but not wanting all that other stuff so mm-hmm. this new partnership that we have is exactly that it's normalizing in a very safe space in a clean it's also ed- yeah, kind it's, of- yeah it's also educational oh. like it, it gives people a, the you know we help people understand intimacy in a new way and feel like they can mm-hmm. kind of carefully and safely and lovingly and wholeheartedly and holistically walk towards mm-hmm. um, intimacy and connection and pleasure in a safe mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so awesome, guys. I think yeah, we're, and- we're on such similar pages as, as where you guys are coming from. So I love everything that you've been saying about communication and just even even that idea about normalizing a lot of this stuff overall, I think is just such a such a great step. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Huge fans. Um, tell us where we can find all of your stuff. Oh, sure. You Hi. can find our website at anatomyofmarriage.com. Our podcast is Anatomy of Marriage. You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We are on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel now. And then also our sister site, marriagesupply.com. And if your listeners type in the promo code, what is it, Mel? 10 from AOM? Yeah, 10 from AOM, and you can get 10% off your purchase. Really appreciate it. I love how open you guys are. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us on. Thanks for listening to 4Play Radio Sex Therapy. You can now call in your questions to the 4Play Question voicemail. Dial 833-MY-4PLAY. That's 833-4PLAY. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. Hey, help us stay on top here at 4Play. We'd love it if you would subscribe and share it with your friends. And please take one sec and rate and review us. Thanks so much. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.